Hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. I think we have some guests who are with us. Glad you're with us. Thanks for joining us. My name is Ben. We're in week four of this really cool thing called Unleash Love, and it really is exciting to hear the stories, and people are diving through the book and, and enjoying this so much. Uh, we really believe this is going to change our church, and it already is, that it's going to change the world here, there, and everywhere. And I hope even today in the next few minutes, you can have a deep sense that it is uh, changing you. It's a time of spiritual growth and stretching and trust in God. I have a friend, Joe Wilson. A lot of you know Pastor Joe. He, uh, he always talking about himself like he's this old guy, you know. So we were hanging out with these college kids and church planners last weekend. And he introduces himself. He says, yeah, I'm so old. Uh, when I was born, the Dead Sea was just starting to get sick. <laughs> That's pretty old, Joe. You know about the Dead Sea, right? You know about the Dead Sea? Uh, I think it's the lowest place on the planet. I think it's 1,400 feet below sea level. Um, And by the way, do you know there's a reason why they call it the Dead Sea? Do you know why they call it the Dead Sea? Yeah, it's dead. (laughs) That's why. Here's a picture of it. It's actually kind of beautiful from a distance, um, but it's, it's dead dead. It's like nine times saltier than the ocean would be, a normal ocean would be. It's the salt content that really makes it so dead. It's pretty big body water, 10 miles wide, about 40 miles long, but you're never going to see a jet skier on it or a sailboat. You'll never catch a fish out of it because there's no fish in it. There are no fish in it. Uh, you'll never see someone putting up a vacation home around the perimeter of the Dead Sea um, because its saltiness makes it dead. Now, what you will see is tour buses pulling up people who are there on uh, these Israel trips or whatever, and you always are going to go to the Dead Sea. And, and the people get out of the bus, they put on their swimsuits, and then they go ouch, 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 across the 109-degree sand, and they go down, and you can get into that salty water, and because of science, you can float in that water. The, the, it's science. So anyway, you, you float in it. Carla and I and the McDades a few years back had the privilege of going there, and that's exactly what we did. Here's a picture of Carla and me bobbing in holy water right there in, in Israel, um, floating. Our hands and our feet are literally out of the water, and it stings a little bit, uh, and you get salt in every nook and cranny of your body, but that's, uh, that's the thing. You can always tell who's been there once, because when they come back a second time, they're like, I'll be on the bus. I'll take pictures from here. It's fine. Uh, I won't burn my feet, and uh, I can bob you know, when I get home or something. But here's what's interesting about the Dead Sea. Um, there is fresh water flowing into the Dead Sea continuously. There's a constant flow of, of fresh water. You can see it on the map here. Um, here's, a, here's a map of the Dead Sea. It's that large dark spot there. And then up in the north you see the Jordan River and actually several other tributaries and streams that flow directly into the Dead Sea. But here's the problem. The Dead Sea has no outlet. It doesn't have an outlet. And because it has no outlet, all that fresh water that comes in there, it just sits there idly. And then the hot desert sun comes out and dries it up, and it leaves that salt residue. It just gets more and more concentrated, and it's dead. It receives. It just doesn't give. And Scripture reminds us over and over again that God cares very much how we live our lives. 
how it is that we think about His blessing and grace and provision in our lives and what kind of outlet we give that. And God very much doesn't want us to be Dead Sea people. He doesn't want this to be a Dead Sea church. And you all know what that is, right? A Dead Sea person is someone who receives fresh blessings and goodness and resources and provision from God, but it really doesn't pass through. It just comes to, and then it sits there and stagnates, and we stagnate. And this isn't just a geographical principle. It's a spiritual principle. We die in a certain way when that happens. But in contrast to that, when resources and blessing and provision of God comes flowing into your life like the Jordan River, and you unleash that back to God... When you make an outlet of generosity and unleash resources to the things that God cares about, then like a river of grace, God's blessing doesn't just come to you, but through you. And when you even include financial provision, that's how God moves things downstream and does what He wants to do. And that, my friend, is how God's name is glorified. It's how God's work goes forward. And it also is how we grow. It's how we expand our faith in God and learn to trust Him even more. Learning that even though we have an outlet of unleashed generosity, we can trust the Jordan River of God's blessing in our life in ever-increasing measure. And that, that's a joy and a privilege. Now, I think this is, this is the principle that Jesus was getting at when he said, he said words that sound crazy, but we got to decide if we really trust Jesus. You know, our money says, you know, in God we trust, do we? You know, Jesus says in Acts chapter 20, he says, it's more blessed to give than receive. And we all know, well, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, we got time, talent, and treasure, and I know it's better to keep my time and use it for what I want or talent. I want to do it to build my kingdom or, or treasure. I don't want to invest it in the things of anyone else. I want to invest it in me. And Jesus says, well, it's actually wrong. You're going to be better if you have an outlet. If you just keep it and hold it, you're going to hoard it and something happens and, and you'll be dead. Paul says the same thing over, he used a different metaphor over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparing, he's talking about farmer and harvest time here. He's talking about seeds. God puts seed into your hand. And if you sow, that means plant. If you, if you plant just like, I love seeds, I'm going to hold on to those seeds and you're just going to plant a couple of them, right? And yet that's called sowing sparingly. Well, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you realize, man, we need an outlet and generosity is part of what it means to have faith in God, then you sow generously. When you do that, seed goes everywhere and that reaps generously in your own life and God's heart and in the kingdom as it advances. Unleash love is an opportunity for us to live out this principle, to say we're not going to be Dead Sea people, we're not going to be a Dead Sea church, we're going to try to be Jordan River people who are just sowing seed everywhere we can to do amazing things. I hope by now you're well acquainted with these amazing things that God has given us to do. Unleash Love is a two-year initiative, growth spurt, time of vision and challenge where we'll decide who we're going to be and unleash incredible amounts of generosity and love for the purposes of glorifying God. And our goal is that 100% of people who call mountain their home, like if that's you, you this is where you receive the, some of the blessing and goodness of God coming into your life from this place. If that's you, that 100% of us would have a real conversation with God about what it would really mean to unleash love through your life in so many ways with your time, your talent, and your treasure. 
And in fact, that you would take a step of generosity because a step of generosity is a step of growth and it's a step of kingdom advancement. A step of generosity on your part is a step of growth and it's a step of kingdom of God advancement. So we've got this huge challenge over the next two years and this is the biggest thing we've ever done. And I believe it calls for each of us to step forward with radical generosity. Radical generosity. We can't get there without radical generosity. And you can't get where God wants you to be without taking a step of growth as well. So next week, we're going to make commitments. And you've got on your, on your seat a card. And a card that's got real boxes with real numbers on it because our real financial giving is going to be part of your own growth and part of the kingdom expansion around here over the next two years. And our goal is that everybody would, would go in and say, okay, God, what are you calling me to do? Kids are going to go first today. All over our campuses, our kids are actually going to go first and show us how they're making their commitments to, um, to, to uh, unleash love today as they kind of think about what it would mean in their life and their early age. That's a great thing to do. The important thing is just all of us to just be praying about this uh, because history hangs in the balance. Eternal destinies hang in the balance. This stuff really, really matters. We have an opportunity to change history. And I think that's really, really cool. Now, I realize before we get too far into this, I realize whenever we talk about giving, whenever we talk about money, whenever we talk about finances, it gets a little ouchy for us, it gets touchy and sensitive. You want to shut down a conversation at a cocktail party, just kind of start talking about you know, personal finances and giving and all that. And it's because I think we, we, we have this tense reaction to it because a lot of times we've just been sucked into the, to the world's way of thinking about money rather than the biblical way and God's heart on it. In fact, a lot of people often when we start talking about all this, undergo a pretty massive change. People that otherwise are like hungry for the Word of God, all of a sudden they're not so sure they want to hear this part of the Word of God. You know, or they're like people that's like, I just, I was starting to like that church too, you know, but I think I'll check out and come back when it's all over, you know, or, or, or you know, I was starting to like that preacher, those preacher guys, they seemed okay, but now we start wondering about their motives. There's probably a Learjet parked out back somewhere. There's something going on here, you know, and, and so we've been conditioned, all of us, me included, to, to kind of react a little negatively and to, to sort of be cynical, and that cynicism can shut down our joy and, and, and it can block out our heart, and that's really the issue here. Listen, I, I'm not going to tell you anything today. I, I'm going to hide behind the Bible. I'm going to hide behind Jesus because we're just going to, it's not going to be Ben's stuff or your stuff. I don't care what our opinions are. Let's just, let's just do Bible stuff and Jesus stuff. And it turns out Jesus talked a lot about this. Jesus told like 38 parables and 16 of them were about money and giving and generosity. It's like, wow, pretty important deal. And it's all through the Bible. You can't really skirt around this, you know? Do you know there's like 500 verses on prayer? It must be pretty important in the Bible. But there's like 2,000 verses on giving generosity and, and financial faithfulness. So it's, it's so important. And the bottom line is we know this is important, you guys. I mean, we all do. We think about money all the time. We want investment advice. We go seek financial planners. We get a new app on our phone. We work carefully on our taxes, all that stuff. And we need answers and we want God's blessing, but we can't really pretend that we're going to get God's financial blessing if we don't seek God's financial guidance. So I'm just going to just kind of say, you know what, let's just let the Bible speak today and let God start working on our hearts and just see what he might do to change you, to change me, and change the world here, there, and everywhere. And a lot of it just kind of comes back to the basic premise that Jesus just stated. When he was teaching Matthew chapter 6, he says, here it is. Bottom line, guys, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
Show me your treasure, I'll show you your heart. Jesus doesn't need our money. He's not trying to get his hand in your wallet. You know what? He's trying to get his hand around your heart. He wants you in your heart, and he knows us so well that where our treasure is, our heart is there. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. If Christianity is a side hobby for you, and it's an inconsequential, minimalistic thing that doesn't really matter to you, then you just do whatever you want to do. But if you want to seek God and put him first in your in your life, then Jesus is reminding us, well, your treasure and your heart have to sync up on this. And your worship and your love and your trust and your demonstration of that will be reflected in your treasure. And so we're all being called to unleash love through generosity. And let me remind us, it doesn't just matter because of what Jesus says or, or what, what happens in our heart when we learn to let go of some of that which he's entrusted to us. You know, it matters because of the mission he's given us. And the truth is, he's put us in a unique situation right here at Mountain. I mean, we live in the northeast United States, the most densely populated part of the country. About a quarter of the population jammed in this corridor we call home and the highest concentration of unchurched anywhere in the country. And we live in Maryland, a lot of us in Hartford County. You know, Hartford County is the most unchurched county in the state of Maryland. 87% of people who live in this county don't go to any church anywhere. Don't have any connection meaningfully with God. I don't pretend to understand why it is that God, in the midst of that, is blessing Mountain the way God is. I mean, the sad truth is, so many churches in this country aren't flourishing right now. Like most of them, like 85% are plateaued or declining. 5,000 churches will close their doors in America this year. So I can't explain to you why we've had 1,000 baptisms in the last three years. I can't explain to you why our children's ministry is growing 20%. I don't understand all that. I just know this. I know that we're called to unleash love, and this matters. And what you and I write on this card is not just a personal, private, spiritual deal between you and God. And yes, it'll help you grow in your faith and all that. But you know what? It matters. It matters not just for the massive numbers of people through campuses we can launch and online campuses and global mission. It matters it matters just for individual people that you know and love and care about. I, I, let's just hear from one right now. Um, we, we've got, we've got uh, on video a friend named Gil, and I want him to just tell a little bit of his story. It'll help us link our generosity to what happens in families over time. Go ahead and watch the screen for a minute. One of the great things about being an elder is we, we get a front row seat to what's going on here. And really hear all the great stories of the lives that have changed. To be able to um, sit and to talk about where we go from here, um, how we can reach those who are the unchurched, and, and um, what Mountain can do in the next steps. We are just so excited about um, Unleash Love and, and just how it's going to change lives. As I've been praying about the Unleash Love initiative, um, there's this one verse that keeps coming to mind. Um, and it's Psalm 145. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I was um, uh, at a meeting with some leaders of the church and we were talking about um, Unleashed Love. And uh, one of the folks that was present was Doris Cunningham. And Doris told this great story about um, how in the 1980s, 
um, she was getting engaged and um, she got a smaller ring so that she could make the sacrifice to give more to the church. And when I heard that story, um, it, it, it touched me uh, because Doris gave for folks like me. Uh, I, I came from the ranks of the unchurched. I, I grew up in a house where there was no Bible. Um, my grandparents never went to church. Um, I am the unchurched. And uh, Mountain is the place where I came to find and know Christ. And uh, it changed my life. It changed my family's life. It changed the trajectory of my family and for generations to come. I'm just um, so grateful for what the youth ministry has done for our, our children. Um, my daughter um, came to know the Lord right outside these doors 17 years ago. My other daughter was baptized in the sanctuary here. And just a few weeks ago, my youngest son preached his first sermon in the same sanctuary. And now that my daughter um, is married, my son-in-law and her, raising my grandson to know and love the Lord, um, it just makes me more grateful to those who sacrificed um, to make, make it happen for us. I'll never forget, uh, we, we came here for a while and, and Ben I uh, was talking about baptism one day and they used to invite folks to come up and um, be baptized and uh, I was on the fence about it so one day uh, Lorianne and I met with Ben and we just we talked about our faith and we talked about the importance of that act of faith um, baptism and um, one Sunday Ben baptized us in Cook Auditorium and um, I'll never forget that day. It was it was a Sunday. I remember what the weather was like that day. I just remember a feeling of peace uh, that I had. And one of the memories that strikes me that day is that um, my two little daughters, they were six and four at the time, um, were holding a brand new little baby brother. And uh, they were sitting in the front row, and we were standing in the... Um, in the baptism pool and Ben said to me, do you want to say something? And uh, all I could say is, is that uh, I hoped that I would live to see the day that my children were baptized here. And uh, it was just, it was a memory I will never forget. Just so grateful for Mountain for um, just spurring us on to um, just love one another, make relationships just to make more disciples, um, it's really all that matters. I'm just always I'm struck by the reality that I came from the unchurched and then became an elder at this church and my son is going to be a pastor. And only, only God does such things. If I, if I were going to just say some words to encourage all of us um, in Unleashed Love, is just to be reminded that there are so many people out there who don't know Christ and they're our neighbors. They're not far from where we are. And there are whole families that for generations that's been so. And we can change that. We have the ability to, to make that difference and to make disciples and to bring people to Christ and to change families for generations. And if it can happen to my family, it can happen to any family.
Okay, so it's pretty easy to see. We could tell a thousand stories like that. It's pretty easy to see how the decision that you make and I make about our generosity matters. It matters in so many ways for ourselves, for, for people like that, and for many more, and for the kingdom of God. So let's go to the scriptures for some encouragement and, and basically to dive in and sort of draw out a couple of timeless biblical principles that will help us because all of us are going to have to be making some decision or other. Everyone is making a decision one way or another over the next week about what we're going to do during commitment weekend, which is next weekend. And uh, as we do, let's do it with guidance from scripture about some radical generosity. That's believe what I, I believe that's what we're called to. So if you open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's a great, great passage where the Apostle Paul, he, he wrote three letters to the Corinthian church. We have two of them. We don't know where the other one went, but two of them got their way into the Bible as, as inspired words of God. And what he does is he wants to inspire these people to radical kind of amazing generosity and the way he does it is he holds up someone else and who did exactly that and he says just look at them and look what's going on there that's how you're going to be able to do it too now no surprise that the people he holds up are macedonians which means they're greeks i mean is it any wonder the greeks are a perfect example of what we're talking about here in the bible all right here we go got to work that in Okay, so here's the idea. Let's talk about some of these uh, biblical truths and principles and let God work these into our own hearts, okay? So here's number one. The first principle we're going to see out of this as he holds up these Macedonian Christians and their amazing generosity is this, that radical generosity happens when we are gripped by grace. It happens when you're gripped by grace. It doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't, it isn't automatic. Watch any little toddler and you will see that every human being is by nature very selfish. Me, mine, get, let go. You know, don't, don't, don't take my toys. And, and that's, that's what we still all have. Radical generosity is not natural. It's supernatural. And it happens when we're gripped by grace. Look at the scripture here, verse one. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. God was at work in their life and they knew it. We don't give generously because we're nice people. We give because we know we're sinners who are saved by grace, plucked out of the depths of hell by an amazing God who gives us untold, unlimited, unmerited favor and blessing in our life. There's common grace for everyone that comes onto the planet. I know a lot of people say life is hard and, you know, mm -mm happens and all this bad stuff. But you know what? Grace happens for everyone. And every day we're recipients of that unusual common grace through life and health and family and food and fun and sunsets and babies born and all of this stuff. It's a grace that comes to us, but there's special grace that comes to the people of God. When you open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, He comes in and with it comes extra measures of His grace. As you trust in Him, you find that you have strength to bear up under terrible circumstances, strength you didn't know where it came from. That's a sign of God's grace. The Bible calls it peace sometimes that defies explanation. It passes understanding. How can you be calm and peace when everything's going all crazy in your life? That's a sign of God's grace. And no matter how far you go from God, when you come straggling back, no matter what you've done, you come back, you always, always, always find God with his arms open wide, ready to embrace us and take us back because there's more goodness and grace in God than there is sin in us. Friends, that's called amazing grace. It changes everything when you remember that, that he has purchased you with the costly price of the death of his son. He has paid that price, and, and he, he has given us a personal relationship, and he has purified us. 
from sin. And he has given us power to walk in the truth and live in his name. He's given us a new set of priorities, a new set of purposes and, and, and promises that he will never leave or forsake us. And he has a place for us prepared where we'll live with him forever. Friends, all of that is, is what God did without our deserving it or waiting for it or earning it at all. He just gave it. That's grace. And when that finally sinks in and it grips a person, they're generous. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to coach them. You don't have to buy a t-shirt and have a campaign. People just get it. And if generosity is a struggle, you're just like me sometimes. It is a struggle for me still in my life. I have to remember, I wonder if grace has gripped me recently. Because when grace grips a heart, no one has to tell a person to be generous. Paul says, look at the grace of God in their life. That's the key to what you're about to see in their amazing, stupendous generosity. Is grace gripping you? If generosity is lacking in your life, or this is extremely hard and your hands are not being able to pull free, maybe the question is, are you experiencing the grace of God? Are you reminding yourself how he is at work and inviting him to be at work in other ways in your life or has something else pulling at your affection, occupying first place in your heart? And When we let the grace of God grip us and rip us and grab us and wreck us and change us and fill us, it will, as the Bible says, be like love that comes to us and splashes out and unleash love on others. Second principle we see from this example in Scripture is this, that radical generosity is really not so much about what's in your wallet or your bank account. Radical generosity is about what's in your heart. Okay, It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. It's not how much you have. You don't need one dime more than you have right now to be generous and to grow in generosity. It's not about amounts. It never has been. Look at verse 2. Here's the Macedonians who are extremely generous. They're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. So their life stinks and they don't have any money. Add those two up and what do you get? Sounds like a disaster to me. But they're also filled with abundant joy. So get this straight. Lots of trouble. Life's a mess. Don't have any money. Equals Abundant joy. Why? Because of the grace of God at work in their life. God's at work and that overflowed naturally into rich generosity. And these guys didn't have first world problems. He's not talking about, well, they couldn't get cell coverage for like three hours. No, this, their lives were very, very difficult. See, as Americans, we begin to think of wealth as what we can get. And the Bible always talks about wealth. When you're wealthy, it means you have something to invest in the purposes of God. And that's what they did. They lacked financial wealth, but they were still generous because real generosity is about the condition of your heart, not the amount in your wallet. So some of us are saying, I'm waiting on God to provide. And when he does, I'm going to take a big, bold step of faith. And it's like, that's completely backwards. Read your Bible and you realize God's waiting on us to take a big, bold step of faith, and then he continues to provide. The outlet comes and the provision comes. There's not one, you can't find and show me one place in the Bible where, where God says, okay, I've already taken care of everything. I've provided everything you need. There's not one ounce of risk or discomfort or challenge here. There's no step of faith for you. You, you just got to start walking in obedience now. No, no, God knows us too well. It's always the other way around. There's no guarantees. There's a step of faith required. And if you're waiting on God to sort of provide in order for you to, to go, God's already provided. 
And now he's waiting on you and I to take a step of faith. It's not about the amount of money we give. It's about the faith behind it. Which is why Jesus told that story about the widow and, and her mite. You know, the, the, the guy goes to the offering in front of everybody. He's waving all his big bills around. And everyone knows he's so generous because he puts all the money in the offering plate. And then that woman walks up there with her gnarled bony fingers and opens them with her arthritic hand and drops out two tiny pennies. And everybody knew it was all she had. And Jesus says, who's more generous? And we know the answer. It's not the guy who put in all that money. It's that woman because it meant something to her. She felt it. It was an act of trust. It was an act of worship. She was believing that that outlet of unleashed love was going to be met by more provision from God. A widow, a destitute woman in that first century culture, that was a big, bold statement. And we write a number on the card. Carl and I are trying to say, God, get us into that territory so it feels like whatever that woman felt because that's how you grow in your faith with God. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, I can testify that these people gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. No one made them, but they gave not just what they could afford, but far more. What does that mean? Some translations will say they gave not only according to their means, but beyond their means. What does that mean? Well, it basically, the wording actually t means they, they gave in a way that was sort of out of the ordinary. Not what normal people would calculate by, well, that sounds safe and, and the wise thing to do. But out of sync with what is common sense, not the usual math. In other words, they gave in a way that just sort of opened people's eyes and said, that doesn't look right. It turned people's heads. It opened people's heart. And they looked and they said, wow, that's pretty incredible. And friends, we have that kind of opportunity here with what we're going to do and what you're going to do to turn heads, open hearts, and have people say, there must be some grace at work here. Because these people are obviously seeking first the kingdom of God. The number one God in our age is money, and we all know it. And we're going to dare to say Jesus is first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And some of these other things we'll have to add up later. I don't want to give a little gift that's nice. I want to give a gift that will change me, change the world. And you can too. So give like your treasures in heaven. Because it is. The third principle is this. Giving with radical generosity is actually a privilege. It's a privilege. It's, it's, not, it's not a duty. It's not a responsibility. It's not an ought to. It's, it's a privilege. And these guys knew it. Look at verse 4. Entirely on their own, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the Lord's people. And they did even more than we'd hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. When you give yourself to God first, then the financial generosity is going to be either. But they begged to be part of it. They were like, you know, I've had people beg me for a lot of things in ministry. Like, will you please preach that sermon? Will you please not talk so long? Will you please start this song? Will you please have them sing this song or whatever? I, I, I don't very often have someone beg me for the opportunity. I want to put more of my money into play for things that really matter. But that's exactly what we're going to do, you guys. It's exactly what we're going to do, and we're going to understand that you know, we're not up here bribing or begging or cajoling. You don't want to do it, don't do it, but you're the one missing out. God says, I don't want you to give generously because of something I want from you. It's because of what I want for you. It's what God wants for you, not from us. And that's why Paul would say in the next chapter, these same people, God, everyone should just decide what God puts on your heart to give. Don't give out of guilt or obligation because we know that God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek, the word is hilarion. It means it's the word we get hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. <laughs> 
So wouldn't it be amazing? I actually know a church where they do this. They pass the offering bags, and when someone stands up and says, we're going to receive gifts and offerings to God now, everybody cheers and woots. Let's try that. Let's just say, next time this happens, you guys just start cheering. We'll pretend. Uh, we're, We're going to receive our gifts and tithes and offerings now. And everybody looks at that and goes, you've got to be nuts. What's, going, what's wrong with those people? What's wrong with those people is God is at work in their life. And so they're, they're giving with joy, not because they have to, because they get to. They know it's a privilege. And God loves that, cheerful, hilarious givers. And I don't know how to quantify what happened in Gil's life or his wife's life or his three kids' lives or what's going to happen through their families and the next generation and the next generation. I don't know how to quantify that with all the other people we'll reach as a result of our generosity, but I'd I'd give anything to be a part of it. In fact, I'm not asked to give anything, just what God tells me to give. Let me give you another one. Unleashing love through generous giving does two things. It demonstrates Genuine faith. And it also helps us grow spiritually. You want to demonstrate your faith? The Bible doesn't say put a bumper sticker on your car, sing a song, raise your hand, or tell your friend. It says you want to demonstrate your faith? Put your money where your faith is. It'll demonstrate it. Look at the verse here, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I'm not commanding you. He says, this isn't a command that you give in this. No one's going to command or guilt you into this either. There's no command here, but it is a, but to test the sincerity of your love. We're going to unleash love. We're going to unleash love. Well, how sincere are we? Test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For we know how the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we could be made rich. This is a a test of our genuineness of our faith. And it's also an opportunity to to grow. It'll demonstrate how serious we are, how genuine our faith it really is, beyond all the talk. And and then it will also give us a chance to grow because uh, you grow when you expand generosity because it shows your heart for God. Verse 7 is great words of Paul, not only for them, but for us at Mountain, people like us. He says, you're so good at so many things. He says, just as you excel in many things, and he names them, your faith, you have all these great stories of what God's doing, speech, you have all these amazing testimonies, knowledge, you're growing in your understanding of the word of God, enthusiasm, it's a fun, great place to be. In the love which is kindled in you, you're unleashing love. It's great. That's amazing. Just see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. Make sure that you're growing in all of these ways, not just in understanding the Bible, not just in having your character formed, but you take a step in your generosity because that's how you're supposed to grow. That's the grace. Friends, as we fill out this card, that's what's going to happen is I encourage everyone to say, I'm going to take a growth step in my faith as a result of what I put on here. And you're going to see boxes and numbers there and all that. I I know what's going to happen is some of us, and I encourage you to tell me, and because and, it will encourage so many, some of us are going to make a commitment for a two-year thing to this church, and it's going to be the first time you've ever done anything like that. It's going to be the first time you've ever done anything consistent, regular, faithful to anything. And you're going to have so much, I'm so excited for you. I, I'm encouraged by that. Some of you have been consistent and faithful, but you know you're also comfortable. You know it's also something that this is an opportunity for you to stretch and to do something that would give you an opportunity to get into a space where God would have room to show his provision in your life. And some of us 
are going to make lifestyle choices that will say, I'm going to reflect the purposes and priorities of God in my life as I seek Him first. And that will allow me to put a number on that card I couldn't have made otherwise. And some of us will make sacrificial gifts for the first time ever. Awesome. Just do what Carl and I have done. Wrestle with this. Think about it. Pray about it. And don't worry that you can't do more than you want to do. You're not asked to compare to anyone else what they do. Each one is supposed to just give what God tells us to do. Don't worry about anything other than that. And as we each do our part, God works in our hearts and works through all of us, and he'll make all this come out okay. So pray, listen, give in a way that you want to change the world and you know that will mean changing you. Release some of your earthly investment for eternal investment. I wonder, as you kind of plan and pray and reflect, I want to go back to something that Gil said in his testimony. He said, uh, he talked about Doris Cunningham. A lot of you know Doris. She's, uh, here's a picture of Doris these days. Doris is one of the matriarchs of this church. She'd been around a long, 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 long time, 70, maybe 80-some years, I guess, at this church. She's been through a lot of these um, opportunities to keep expanding their generosity. Gil referred to one of those times. The church was at a moment where they needed to build what today we call Walker Chapel, that stone thing with the steeple up the hill. And it was a way to reach more people and spread the love. And they were getting married. And here's a picture of Doris and Els back in the day. Els is going to be with the Lord now, standing outside the old Walker Church, the old, the old uh, mountain church. And God just placed it on their heart to downsize their, their wedding ring. I just, I'm blown away by that. It touches me when I hear that, this young couple saying, we're going to get a smaller ring so we can take the difference and invest more to the Lord. And it's not just a statement, I guess, about the amount of money. It, it, it strikes me because of what it meant to them. So the question I think I would just pose to you is, I think as God looked at that gift, not only did it make Walker Chapel happening and allowed Cook Auditorium, and it's sort of all of us are here as a result of that gift in a way, and the question would be, well, what's your ring? What, what's something that will mean something to you and to God in a special way that will show you want to make provision for what he's going to do in your life and also here, there, and everywhere through Unleashed Love? So I just want to close today the same way we opened this whole Unleashed Love thing as we prepare to go and figure this out this week and come back next week ready for a huge, momentous celebration, historic moment. Can I just encourage you to pray, pray, pray again? Don't avoid it. Go talk to God. Listen. You know, prayer is a two-way conversation. We always say prayers when I go call on the Lord. But remember, when you pray, sometimes He calls on you. And uh, sometimes we want God to be faithful, and that's why we pray. But sometimes in our prayers, we're going to hear him calling us to be faithful to him. And I think that could happen through this. So I promise you this, he's going to call on us, even as we're calling on him. Can I encourage you to take the call? <laughs> you know, I know how it is. You know, it's right. You get that call, you're like, yeah, not somebody. I don't want to talk to him right now. I don't want to talk to him. Or, or she, oh, it's her? Oh, yeah. Um, let it roll over to voicemail. Don't do that. Here, here's, here's the deal. Here's the dealio, friends. I can promise you, for real, for real, God is calling you. This phone right here, that's you. That's your hand right there. 
See who's calling? It's God. And everybody's got an opportunity, accept or decline. I'm just going to say, will you just accept that call? Have a real conversation with God. Just pray, God, what do you want me to do? He's not going to ask you to do something you can't do. He's not going to tell you. He's not going to, if you've got feelings of guilt and weirdness about it, then you're not hearing from God. It's a wrong number. But when you start feeling your heart warmed by the grace of God in your life and you start feeling like you want to be a Dead Sea person who's turning to a river of life, Jordan River person, then you'll know that's the voice of the Lord and you just give in a way that honors Him and let's change the world. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful to you for your indescribable gift, Jesus. For the difference it can make in our lives. And we just invite him in more deeply to the inner places where we can hear his voice and sense his spirit ruminating in the chambers of our heart. And as we pray this week, I pray you'll help us to think about what's my, what's my ring, what's, what's my thing that I can do as I give or expand generosity for the sake of my heart and the sake of your kingdom. And bring us back, Lord, for a, a joyful celebration next week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.